If you will take your Bibles and open to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we'll be doing kind of an in-between series today. We finished up our gospel uh, key question series last week. And uh, the Christmas sermon series will begin next Sunday, of course. But we're kind of an in-between uh, sermon today. And so we're going to be in Colossians 2. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Um, but we're going to read 1 through 10 in just a moment. So Colossians 2 and verses 1 through 10. As you're finding your way there, just a little background to you. Paul is writing to uh, the believers in the city of Colossae and reminding them of the essence of the Christian life, what it is uh, to be a Christian, what it is to grow as a Christian, what it is to be planted and rooted. And he uses a metaphor that we're going to see uh, throughout uh, the metaphor of a tree. And uh, frankly, if you think about uh, Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17, the metaphor of vegetation or trees or growth or things like that is all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. We think about Genesis uh, and the first people, Adam and Eve, were told not to eat from a certain tree. And then if you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's another tree uh, with the, the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. And so trees really are all throughout Scripture from beginning to end. And Paul touches on this metaphor of a tree, and he talks about the root system of the tree. Now, if you're an English major uh, or an English teacher, perhaps you will see that here in a moment, Paul mixes metaphors, and that's not that doesn't work in English class all that well uh, for an English teacher. However, when the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, I guess you really don't have much of an option. And so Paul's going to talk about what it is to be rooted or anchored in Christ, and we'll see that in Colossians chapter 2. So I'll turn one page back over. We'll start in verse 1, Colossians 2 and verse 1. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and this is a powerful verse, in whom, in whom, speaking of a person, speaking of Jesus, God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So draw you away with arguments other than Jesus that sound good. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, that is the church there in the city, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And verse 6, he says, Therefore, so connecting everything he just said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So high and lofty ideas. Don't be drawn away into those things. That was a big part of Greek culture in that day. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, this is a powerful statement of Jesus' deity. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father, we ask You to take Your Word, open our hearts, and place Your Word in it where it needs to be. Help us to see ourselves Somewhere in this passage, whether we are planted in Christ or rooted in Christ or growing in Christ or producing fruit or maybe we're not even 
uh, planted in the soil of salvation and we're lost. And I pray that your word, by your power of your Holy Spirit, would enable us to see ourselves where we are, but also see ourselves where you want us to be. God, give us eyes of grace, Lord, to look past our guilt, past our mistakes, past our regrets and things of our past and see, God, where you want us to be because what you think about us ultimately is what matters. We ask you to minister to us through your spirit during this time as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the reason I say we read 1 through 10, if you're unfamiliar with reading the Scripture, I don't want to take verses 6 and 7 and just focus on them and rip them out of the Scripture as if the other verses around it have nothing to do with it. So when you get a coupon book in the mail, that's one of the things you do. You throw the others away and you rip out the one that you're going to use next week. We don't want to treat the Bible like a coupon book because we will throw away the things that maybe God is dealing with us over and we will ignore and stiff arm the Holy Spirit while we say, ooh, I like this and I like that. The Bible is not a coupon book. The Bible is not a buffet. We come to it uh, and, and the Holy Spirit brings it to us as we, as we need. We don't get to pick and choose. And so we need to look at what is Paul saying to the church in Colossae before we ask the question, what is God saying to the church at Pleasant Gardens? What was the original author saying to the original audience? And then we make application as we move into our day today. So things look different in 2018 as they did uh, in Paul's day in the 60s. That's not the 1960s, that's AD 60, 64, 68. Um, so we want to we remember that. And one of the key things that's hard for us to grasp today is the prevalence of false teaching or heresy in the church. Most likely, when you come in here, most likely if you attend another church, most likely when you turn on uh, religious networks and programming, which you really need to be cautious with on TV especially, most of us probably don't enter churches expecting or wary of hearing heresy, hearing false teaching. We assume we provide a lot of assumption that the person up front is going to say what the book says when in fact many agendas get brought to a pulpit like this and you can be taught something that is actually not in God's word is in competition with Christ and with his spirit. And so the danger of false teaching faced these young churches that Paul planted in the first century in a tremendous way. I had a professor ask us one time in history class in seminary, in church history, he said, would you rather be killed? He said, you don't have an option, you're going to be killed. He said, would you rather be killed by a ravenous raging lion that they turn loose into the room, or would you rather be killed by uh, a, a odorless, uh, vaporless, uh, un, you know, you can't see it, uh, not, not visible, invisible kind of gas that they kind of ease into the room through the system, and it just slowly kind of your life sort of ebbs away, you know, and everybody had different responses. But essentially, if you sit under teaching that is false teaching, that is heresy, you will be poisoned from the inside out. You will hear things that are not in keeping with the Word of God. You will hear things that actually rot out your thinking. You will hear things that rot out your heart, that will rot out your will, and you will find yourself drifted away from Christ because it doesn't matter how entertaining the speaker is. It doesn't matter how good of a storyteller they are. Uh, it doesn't matter what their physique looks like or, or doesn't look like. Uh, the thing that matters is the truth of God's Word. And so we all should be on guard, standing on guard against the enemy because from the very beginning, if you go to Genesis 3, what did the devil do? Slip, yes, lie. Slip a little perversion of the truth, what we really just call a lie, in there with the truth and then feed it to people and he's been doing it ever since, right? So you look at what he did with, with Jesus when he tried to tempt Jesus out in the wilderness. He, he twisted the truth. 
He said, you know, but here's what it says. And Jesus counters him with the word of God because the truth, well, he is the truth, but the truth is hidden in his heart. And he can speak the words of God to the enemy of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so we need to be on our guard. Even as I preach, you need to have your Bible open. You need to be taking notes. You need to be saying, hey, is what he's saying in keeping with what God says? Not, is what he's saying what I like to hear? Because there are many different approaches to that. Many of us come in here with different opinions on what we want to hear, but that's not what we need. So Paul encourages them toward growth, toward unity, and toward love. You see that in all the letters. And then he warns them strongly in verses 6 and 7 of one important thing we're going to talk about today, and that is staying rooted in Christ. Staying rooted in Christ. No matter your station or stage in life, you stay rooted in Christ. And here's why. You don't go beyond the gospel. You don't go beyond the gospel. I know Hebrews talks about moving kind of, you know, beyond the, the fundamentals of the faith and things of that nature. That, we're not talking about that. Here's what I'm talking about. You don't go beyond the gospel of Christ, that he has died for you, that he was buried, resurrected, ascended, and he's coming. All of the good news of the Bible is wrapped up in the message of Christ. All of it finds its fullness and its freedom and its fulfillment in him. So you don't go beyond the gospel. Here's what you do. You go deeper down into the gospel. Every sermon, you may, somebody said to Martin Luther, I think Ethan said this recently. Somebody said to Martin Luther, you just talk about the same thing every week. You just talk about the gospel every week. And I don't know what his response was, but I think it was something to the effect of when you live it out and when you start practicing it, then we'll preach something different. But in essence, we don't go beyond the gospel. We root ourselves deeply in Christ, or maybe we should say, according to the scripture, Christ roots us deeply in himself. So four things I want to talk about this morning to a healthy root system in your Christian life. The first one we see in verse 6. We are planted in Christ. This is a reference to the new birth. We're planted in Christ. So look at the language very carefully. It says, therefore, as you received. Okay, as you received. I don't need to go back to grammar class, you know, and talk to you about uh, participles and passive participles and all that. Here's what this means. You received something. You were the passive party in your salvation. You received something that God gave to you. This planting is what Jesus meant when he talked about the new birth. When Jesus and Nicodemus were having their conversation, he said, you need to be born again. Well, no baby births itself. All the mothers in the room say... Amen. No baby births itself. That baby is just kind of hanging out. And really, you got to give the baby the eviction notice sometimes. You know, you got to tell him you got to go. You just can't stay here because the baby just wants to stay there. But we are rebirthed. That's what the Bible talks about when it says the person is regenerated by the Holy Spirit. When a person is regenerated, that you think about a generator. Your power goes out. You bring a generator in and you regenerate the power in your house to do what? Bring it from deadness and darkness into life and power. Okay, so you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit who brings you from life to death. Now, this is an important theological concept for you to grasp, and here's why. Paul says in Colossians and in Ephesians that you and I start out where? Spiritually. Dead. Dead. Not asleep. You know, if you're a Princess Bride fan, Miracle Max, you're not mostly dead. Nobody remembers that movie. You're not mostly dead, you're dead. And he says you need to be made alive and God, listen, is the active party that makes you alive. You don't make yourself alive. You can't, if you're dead, you can't contribute to digging yourself up. 
Paul said you are dead, and he meant you are dead in your sins. And he uses the metaphor of a tree talking about the planting of the seed in the soil of salvation. So he says you received Christ. You received something. Okay, You received new birth. It's vital we understand this. We don't accomplish this ourselves. God does it in us. God does this work in us and he tills the soil and he prepares the soil and he scatters the seed of the gospel in your hearts and at the right time, according to God's sovereign plan, you come to life. Some of you this morning can go back in your Christian life and you say, you know, I didn't believe at a point in time. I didn't believe, I didn't believe. And all of a sudden, it was like the light came on for me spiritually. C.S. Lewis talks about that in his book, Surprised by Joy. That's what he talks about. I didn't believe, I didn't want to believe, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit did something in me, and I found that I believed. That's, in essence, what happens. We put far too much emphasis on walking this aisle or that aisle or being at the front or signing a card or a name and a roll. The Bible doesn't talk about any of those things. Not once. It talks about believing. What is belief? It's your response. Once you've been regenerated, once you've been awakened and dug up, exhumed. Y'all remember Randy Travis? Exhuming things that are better left alone. Well, well God, God is exhuming things that were dead in the grave spiritually. And he, he raises us to life and he gives you new life so that you can respond in faith to the gospel. So you respond, but God is beginning this work in you. You say, where do you see that? Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. So God planted you in the soil of your salvation. You didn't plant yourself. God did all the work beforehand and planted you there in the soil of salvation. And he makes you alive, it says, together with him, forgiving you of all of your trespasses. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1 and verse 6. Paul says this. I think this is the New King James. He says, And being certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Who began the good work? God did. You say, you're telling me we don't have any response or any free will. I'm not saying that. You respond to the work that God is beginning in you. You don't begin it in yourself. If Paul was right, and I believe firmly, I'm convinced Paul was right under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this holy text that we were dead in our sins. And if we're not raised to life, there is nothing out there for us. God raises us to life and we respond to the grace that he has showed us. And so we were planted by him in Christ. The grammar actually suggests this passive action that happened where we're planted. So we're going to keep going. But we're planted in Christ. Number two, after we're planted, our roots go down. We're rooted in Christ. Now this is the early stages of of our growth, where our roots are going down. Paul talks about walking in Christ. You hear that all the time. Christians say, how's your walk? How's your walk? How's your walk? Well, personally, I hate to walk. If I can sit, I'd much rather sit than walk, but I have to walk sometimes. Paul talks about your walk in Christ to refer to your daily conduct. Every single day, how you carry yourself out, it ought to be tethered to Jesus. Well, what do you mean tethered to Jesus? He's not here anymore. Where is he? Well, he's in heaven. But he's given you his word. And if you're planted in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. 
And so as we walk in the Spirit, as we do the things the Bible calls us to do in response to His grace, we grow because we're tethered to Christ. Let me ask you a question. If you go down to the dock of your, uh, of your, your boathouse or your family's boathouse or something of that nature, and you're going to get in the paddle boat or you're going to get in the rowboat or the pontoon or whatever, and it's not tethered to the dock, what's going to happen to it? It's going to drift off. We must be tethered to Christ in the way that we live. But this is something even then that Jesus still accomplishes in us. This is the slow process where we are transformed to be more like Jesus every day. So we're talking about rooted. Now, roots are a funny thing. Roots are a funny thing. Does anybody drive up from Florida during peak leaf season to admire the roots in the ground? No one. No one drives up from Florida... They all seem to come from Florida. Nobody drives up from Florida to admire the roots. They want to look at what? The leaves. They want to look at essentially the fruit, the foliage of what is visible, but they're not looking at the roots. They go unnoticed. They go overlooked. But if the root system is dead and unhealthy, what's going to happen to the tree? It's not going to make it. In the Greek, this word rooted refers to, listen, the continuing results of an action that was completed in the past. The Greek, when it talks about being rooted in Christ, it's talking about something that is ongoing, but it happened back here in the past. You are planted and you're rooted, but this action of growing in Christ continues. So the metaphor of a tree is perfect for describing how we grow as Christians. Think about an acorn. What does an acorn do? This weird little thing comes out of the bottom Right? When you're a kid, you're like, what is that growing out of that thing? It's the root. It's the beginning of this root system. And it's trying to get rooted into the soil. And this little taproot, I think it is, goes down into the soil. And it works its way out and it spreads out so that a root system is formed, giving it a foundation for solid Christian growth. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that happen overnight? Does that happen in a week, a month, a year? No. The process of sanctification is a lifelong process from the time you're planted in the soil of Christ when you find that you believe and you respond to that grace. This long process called sanctification takes place in your life that causes you to grow and be transformed into the image of Christ. It is a day-by-day process. That's why Paul calls it a walk. When you walk somewhere, you don't jump 50 feet out in front of you right? Your, your kids want to do that, but you don't jump that far. Just one step at a time, you feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere. And how did Forrest Gump get so far away from home? <laughs> one step at a time. And then he said, I think I'll go home. That was it. And so this is a process. It happens slowly. We are rooted in Christ. But third in verse 7, We grow to maturity. We should say we are growing because all these things are continual actions. Paul says, So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now the structure of the Greek phrase here would be much better translated being built up. You say, why are you getting into semantics? Because it's not semantics. The little things about these Greek verbs make all the difference in your Christian life. When you understand that God began this work in you, you did not save yourself. You did not respond to him first. When God began this work in you, like Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he is committed to carrying it out, come what may. 
He will bring you into his kingdom if you have been saved by his grace. Because Jesus said, I will not lose any of whom you have given to me, talking to the Father. So when you're given to to Christ for salvation, when you're planted in the soil of that salvation, you are secure. I don't care what anybody else says. You are secure in Christ's hands if you have truly repented and trusted in Jesus and nothing else for salvation. Now, in our Christian life, do we begin to fall back into works? Sometimes, yes. And what do we need to do? Not rededicate. That Bible word is not in there. That word's not in the Bible. We need to repent. We need to repent. And we need to come back. So we're talking about this Greek phrase that says, being built up in him. Again, this is an ongoing process. It's a passive participle. What does that mean? You're being built up. You don't build yourself up. Now, there's a sense in which you cooperate with the work of God. Yes. This morning, my my devotion with Carrie, we talked about not quenching the spirit. Not quenching the spirit. So we can quench the work of God in us. But guess what? He's going to keep working around us. We can stand up against him. We can be hard-hearted. We can be hard-headed, all of us. And we can fight against God. But guess what? He's he's going to keep on doing what he's going to do. What did Gamaliel say to his friends and the Pharisees and the scribes? Be careful lest you find yourself fighting against God. You don't want to be on the wrong side is what Gamaliel was saying. God is the one who's doing this action in our lives that we receive it, it happens to us, but God the whole time is doing the work and we cooperate with him. So here's what this means. I've said this already, but I'll repeat it again. It's worth hearing. If God has begun a good work in you, he's committed to your spiritual growth. Sometimes the rains fall, Sometimes the sun comes, sometimes the wind blows, but if he's planted you in the soil of salvation, he will make sure you grow to the fullness that he has committed you to grow to. What does that mean? Sometimes he trims. Sometimes he prunes. Sometimes he decides this this particular thing in your life, this particular person, this particular activity, this particular pattern or habit in your life, it needs to go and snip. He will trim it. He's the gardener. He's committed to our growth. Does that trimming hurt? Sometimes. Does that pruning hurt? Sometimes. Sometimes it does, but he does it for our ultimate good to cut out the unhealthy junk and make space for healthy branches to grow. Now, this is the part where Paul mixes metaphors and he moves from a tree to the building of a house. You say, well, how in the world did we get there? I guess cut down trees to build a house. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. But he moves there, and if you think about it, this makes all the sense in the world to describe our Christian life. Paul talks about houses. Jesus talks about houses. Peter talks about houses. Houses are all throughout Scripture. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talks about these two houses. One of them is built on a solid foundation that is Christ. The other one is built on the shifting sand and what happens when the storms blow. That house, that life, crashes to the ground. But the other house, same location, same storm, different result, different foundation. It stands firm in the storm. Peter talks about Christ being the cornerstone that the rest of the church is built around. But here's what I love. This fact of we're being built up and established means this. Again, we're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. Nobody in this place claiming the name of Jesus as Savior is, has arrived. No one. No one is there. 
And no one, no matter how nice and shiny we look on the outside, that doesn't make us any better on the inside than really who we are. God is in charge of our growth, and it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. God is leading us internally to where we need to be through his Holy Spirit. We are still under construction. So you know what this means? Every person you run into, every person who is a believer, has got one of those orange diamond-shaped signs around their lives. Not men at work, God at work. God is doing a work in us, building us up in the faith, and we won't be completed until we step into the new heavens and the new earth that he's designed for us. But fourth in verse seven, planted, rooted, growing, and producing. Now this, this participle is different from the other three. The other three were passive. It's something that happens to you. This one is the only one in the Greek that is active. This is what you do in response. It is what has happened to you. So listen, Paul says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, or being built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's your participle. There's your verb. Abounding in thanksgiving. We are to produce the fruit of thanksgiving. So how do you know that the tree is strong and healthy? If there's a good root, generally speaking, what are you going to find on the tree branches? Good fruit. If there's a good root, you will find solid fruit. Jesus said of the false teachers in Matthew 7, 20, by their fruit, what is the fruit of a false teacher? Heresy that they are teaching. By the fruit, you will recognize them. So if a tree's root system is damaged, then what's going to be damaged on the branches? Fruit. It's going to be diseased. It's going to be stricken. It's going to fall off. It's not going to grow to fullness because there is damage. Jesus said in John 15, the only way that we will produce spiritual fruit in our lives is to stay connected to Christ. The only way we grow is not by doing more, but understand that Jesus has done it all. And living in that and resting in that, the, the interesting word he uses is abide. He says, abide in Christ. I've said this before, but if you come to my home and I open the door and I say, welcome to my humble abode, we know that phrase, welcome to my humble abode, what am I saying? You're welcome into the place where I live. So when Jesus says abide in Christ, he's saying, root your life in Jesus. Make your home in Jesus. Our abode, we abide in Christ. Our home is in Christ. So maybe what that means for some of you in this place is you put down the technology so that you can actually abide in Christ a little bit more. Maybe you turn it off. Maybe you shut it down. Maybe you unplug it. Whatever it is that is drawing you away from filling your mind with the word of God and being in prayer and praying this word back to him, you turn that off. You walk away from that. You forsake it so that you can abide in Christ. Listen, study church history and you will see. I'm not being a doomsday voice here. I'm just saying what's out there, okay? The church, the church, the big C church, especially in the West, the wealthy, affluent West, the big C church today is about as weak as it's ever been in the history of Christianity. There's great things going. God is working. The word is going forth all over our country. But listen to me. Churches are becoming anemic because they are not abiding in this word. It, we largely don't know what it says. Listen, I sat at a committee convention meeting and listened to the Baptist State Convention lady who is over all of 
the youth ministry, what's her name, Mary Johnson, share statistics from teenagers at Caswell when they talked about Bible familiarity. It would scare you, frighten you, burden you to know how little of the word of God successive generations know. We're not rooted in this word. We're not abiding here because Satan is dangling so many things out in front of us to abide in other places, activities and habits and relationships and all these things. We're abiding in all these other places except the one place that Jesus said to abide, which was in him. Make your home in him. What, in your home, what do you do? Well, lots of things. Did you kick off your shoes? And you're comfortable. You're yourself. You rest. You sit. You work. You think. You sleep. You cook. Everything you do, your entire life really is wrapped up in your home. So if your workplace burns down, some of you cheer. If your workplace burns down, you're like, ah, that's terrible, but I'm going to get two weeks off. If your home burns down, what happens? Your whole life pretty much goes on hold. Because your abode is now gone. Christ will never be gone if you call out to him. We just sang it this morning. He goes with us to the end. He will never be gone as long as we are planted, rooted, and growing in him. But we are to have an, an, an attitude of gratitude as a response. See, it says abounding in thanksgiving. What is your response if you are saved today? To give thanks. Not because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. To give thanks. To live with an attitude of gratitude. To live constantly counting our blessings and naming them one by one. Counting our many blessings and seeing what God has. Finish it. When we glory in what God is doing in us and around us, you will bubble over with gratitude. When you gripe about what is going on in your life that you don't like, you will not be a person of gratitude. You will not be a person of contentment. You will be a person of anger and bitterness and frustration and others will see it in you and begin to kind of uh, pig pen, pig pen, pig pen. I don't need to say anymore. Everybody watched Charlie Brown at Thanksgiving. Pig pen, nobody wanted to be around pig pen. Why? He stunk. He stunk. He was dirty. And when you walk around complaining and frustrating and arguing and bickering, when you do that in any sphere of your life, no one, no one wants to be around that person. Nobody. But you think about the people in your life that have meant the most to you. I'll almost guarantee you, not a betting man, but if I were, I'd bet the farm on this one. I'll almost guarantee you, you enjoy being around them because they were just generally grateful people. Grateful. A friend of mine lives this attitude very well. He's in his 80s. He's seen some difficult times. He's seen some great times. Every time you ask him how he's doing, he says the same thing. Not out of rote response, but out of a true heart of abounding in thanksgiving. He says the same thing. How you doing? Better than I deserve. And it's always with a curious little smile, you know. Better than I deserve. What's he saying? He's saying this, anything good that happens in his life is far better than what he is worthy and capable of making happen on his own. That's his attitude of gratitude. Better than I deserve. It's his active response to God's work in his life. Now, before you say, well, I'm sure everything just worked out wonderful for this friend of yours. 
His brother died in a plane crash. His daughter died of cancer. His grandchildren's father abandoned them and left the family. And his wife has faced terrible sickness in the last few years. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. That's a response of someone who recognizes God's grace has been showered in my life and if I have nothing else and everything is stripped away from me, Christ will not forsake me. I'm saved. I've been given that gift of salvation. You know what that is? A healthy root that was planted in Christ, going down in the soil of salvation, growing to maturity, and now is producing fruit of thanksgiving. That healthy root is producing healthy fruit. Let me close with a few thoughts that you can take with you this morning. Number one is this. The life of a tree is only as good as its root system. I'm not talking about those trees out there. The life of a tree, the metaphor of your Christian life, is only as good as its root system. If your spiritual root system is weak, you know what you need to do? Just repent. Just repent. Just tell God, there's a weakness in this area of my life. And he promises that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness because of what Jesus has done. So just repent and say, Lord, I'm weak in this area. And he promises he will give you strength. Second, don't waste your time showing off your beautiful leafy canopy. Don't waste your time showing off your beautiful, leafy canopy, everything that looks so wonderful on the outside because, listen, when the winds of temptation and trial hit, the only thing that's going to keep you standing in the storm is what? Your root system. What's beneath the soil, abiding in Christ, anchored in Him. Don't waste your time showing off the the external and the outside. Third, A strong root system takes time to develop. It is a process. So here's what that requires. Patience with yourself, patience with others. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen next week. It may not happen for 20 years. But God is not in a hurry, is he? Is God in a hurry? No. Is God panicking and wringing his hands because life is not going according to plan how we have it on paper? No, he's not. He's not in a hurry. He's not anxious. The only way he can give you peace in your anxiety is if he's not anxious himself. He promises peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus if you would just give him your anxious worries. If you're anxious about your spiritual life, just go rest in Christ. You say, that's too simple. I know, isn't it good? That's just too simple. Give me something else to do. Give me some some prayer to say. Give me some aisle to walk. Give me some committee to serve on. Give me some sermon to preach. He doesn't tell you to do any of those things. He just says, make your home in Jesus. Abide in Him. Flowers don't get up and like make their petals more yellow. What do they do? They just stay there and keep growing downward. And in time, the gardener makes it happen. But it's a process. So let God be in charge of the clock. Just be faithful and follow Christ. Number four, this ought to be a warning. If you don't see fruit, go check your root. If you don't see any fruit, if the people closest to you don't see fruit in your Christian life, 
If somebody has warned you, and as the Bible says, admonished you about the absence of Christian fruit in your life, don't blow them off. Don't dismiss them. Don't stiff arm them. Say, okay, a Christian brother or Christian sister has admonished me about an issue they see in my life with the spiritual fruit. Is there a problem with my root? John 15, 5, Jesus promised, if we truly abide in Christ, listen, you will bear what? No, much fruit. The words in the Greek, it's not supplied by English. You will bear much fruit. If you're not bearing much fruit, if you're just kind of squeezing out a little bit of fruit on your own every couple months, which I think is against what the Bible even teaches that we can do, then we need to ask the question, what's wrong with the root? If there's no fruit of the Spirit, now these are not separate, love and joy and peace and patience, they, they, they're not separate. It's the fruit singular of the singular Spirit. There's one Spirit that indwells us, and there is this one blend or brand of fruit that shows up in our lives. You say, well, it says all these different things. He brings those to us through this one Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If these things are not increasing a little bit at a time, then there is a good chance that something's wrong with your root system. If there's no fruit and the branches are bare and someone has said to you, check, check your root, check your root. And, and really, you know what, honestly, church, that's what we're actually called to do. In the last 100, 150 years, Western Christianity has become all about the Lone Ranger. Don't tell me. Leave me alone. Don't admonish me. Don't exhort me. You won't find that in Paul's epistles. Encourage each other. Exhort each other. Admonish each other. You know what admonish means? It's a firm warning that we always just call it a kick in the pants. It's a firm kick in the pants that you're out of line and you need to get back in. Well, whose job is that? Is that the preacher's? Not singularly, but it is a part of my responsibility as a shepherd. You know whose responsibility it is to admonish one another when you're walking away in sin? Yours. You are responsible, not just for you. See, what happened in the last hundred years is Christianity became about us. What am I getting out of this sermon? What am I getting out of this service? What am I getting out of that activity? But that is not at all what Paul says to be about. He says, encourage one another as long as it is called today so that a root of bitterness will not spring up in someone's heart. We are called to lock shields together and to advance. Not to hunker down in a, bu in, in a bunker somewhere and just duck the enemy's fiery darts. We advance together. So if you're just faking it, Here's what I'm going to say. You're doing no better than if you just take and staple dead rose petals back on the dead flower on your kitchen table. If you're just faking it, you're just stapling dead petals back on that flower. There's no more life in that flower. It just looks a little bit more presentable now. But listen, there's a day coming... There's a day coming when Christ will present the true church, those who are regenerated and filled with the Holy Spirit. He will present them as a bride to himself and to his Father. And it doesn't matter how religiously presentable you look in that day. 
Because Christ will look on our hearts and he will know. And he already knows. He is presenting us. He is doing this work in us. So I'm going to leave you with this question. How's your root system? Is it weak? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it strong? How do you know? And who do you have in your life around you that will honestly dive into this discussion with you and sit down even this week and say, hey, let's talk about what's beneath the surface. Because we can see what's above the surface and it don't look all that great, right? Let's talk about what's below the surface, what's below the soil. I would encourage you this week, if you, want, if you want something to do, if you're just like, I just have to have something to do, here's what I would say to you. Find somebody that you genuinely, genuinely, truly trust, that they are walking with Christ, that they are truly filled with the Spirit, that they're not carnal Christians or just dead flowers stapling rose petals on, and sit down with them and say, what do you see in my life? And be ready. That's a rough experiment. That's a rough conversation. I've invited that a couple of times and I've had that happen when I didn't invite it a couple of times and that's a tough conversation. But who wants to really march towards eternity dead and lifeless and nobody ever tell you any different? It's not just my job. It's yours. Check your root system, but it's not just about your root system. That doesn't mean we go around with a pickaxe digging at everybody's root system. I'm not saying that. I've never said that. The Bible doesn't say that. But in a grove of trees that grow closely together, if the tree could talk, this one tree that grew beside this other tree for the last 80 years, they know what the root system of that other tree is like, don't they? They're well aware. They don't ignore it. They know it. And I think they feel it when one of those trees dies. Not to be all weird and naturalist, but I think something happens organically in the soil, in the composition of that tree, when that tree dies. They know it because they're growing together. So have a conversation with someone this week. But as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, we pray you would take this word this morning. And you would deliver it to the places in our minds and in our hearts where it needs to go most. We pray that you would edify us as people, not as individuals, but as a group of people that meet here but belong to your church throughout all time of people that are saved by the body and the blood of Christ who we are waiting for his coming. Or I pray for the person in this room this morning who the Holy Spirit is clearly saying your root system is in danger. Your root system has been compromised. You are severing your own root system by what you are doing. And I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would breathe words of peace and grace over that person, over those persons, so that they know it's not the person up front, but it's the Holy Spirit whispering words of grace over a broken system underneath the surface, it's not doing well. Lord, we want to abound in thanksgiving in the same way, acknowledging the fact that all the good that is done in us is done because you planted us in Christ, choosing us before the foundation of the world. 
that you cause our roots to grow down deep into the soil of the word and the spirit and salvation and the gospel itself. You establish us, you build us up, and you cause the fruit to be produced in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would glory in the work that you're doing in us, knowing that Christ, our chief shepherd, the vine dresser, the true vine, is at work in our lives. Build us up, keep us strong, keep us healthy. Not just physically, Lord. Let us, let us just, let us set that very temporal but very real need aside for just a moment. We ask you to keep us healthy spiritually. Let us focus on what truly matters. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.